0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shantae. Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God, and living well. So we are in the middle of a series. If you are new to Whole and Complete, Whole and Complete is a series-based podcast, and we are currently in the middle of a series all about disrupting dysfunction. And so in part one, we introduced dysfunction. We had definitions. uh, We introduced cycles of dysfunctions. And also the risk of being disruptive. And so today we're going to be talking about specifically how to recognize that, um, how to disrupt it, and things to keep in mind with respect to how to navigate this in terms of upending toxic cycles and tropes that tend to pop up in our conscience, in our culture, and in our communication. We also had a guiding scripture for uh, this series, which comes out of the book of Numbers, Old Testament. And this is the daughters of Zelophehad. And looking at Numbers 27, verses mm, three to seven, it says, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord and the Lord said to him, was well, the daughter saying as right, you must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. And then dysfunction. We are defining that as an impairment, a disturbance or deficiency in behavior or operation. And we are saying that disruption is to drastically alter or destroy. So what we are really talking about in this series is drastically altering or destroying the structure of these deficiencies that pop up in our consciousness, in our culture, and in our communication. So let's begin with conscience. So just to recap, Conscience is referring to that understanding of what we consider right and wrong. Okay, so from a very young age, we have this sense of things that are right, things that are wrong. Even little kids, you see them in these videos. They know when they've stolen the cookies, (laughs) you know, when they've pulled all the uh, toilet tissue off the roll and they just kind of have this feeling of like, "Uh oh, you know, I just did something wrong. But one of the ways that dysfunction affects our consciousness is... Through the residual effects of trauma, so when we have been traumatized when we have been conditioned to participate in and believe in toxic ideas and toxic tropes, it can be very hard to distinguish what is real, what is right, what is a fear response, what is a real response and so. It's very, very important to be able to recognize, hear, and follow your intuition, okay? Because a lot of times what I run into is people who struggle to trust their own voices because they've been conditioned to think a certain way. There are social consequences for having independent thoughts and ideas and asking questions because they have been traumatized and they are so fearful that they don't know if it's really their own intuition that's leading them or if it's a trigger from a fear-based response that is, is leading them. And so one of the ways that I think is important to recognize this and to kind of question this when it's talking about your consciousness and being able to follow your own intuition is looking at anything that you believe or subscribe to that is rooted, okay, that has its roots in fear or shame. I've had conversations with colleagues, with peers, with clients, and this happens very often in the church. So I'm not calling out the church specifically and saying that church is bad, but I'm saying that this has happened, that this experience is very real and it has to be acknowledged and you can never deal with anything unless you're willing to like face it, address it and just speak the truth about it. And I've had a lot of them say that, well, I was taught not to ask questions. Church is one of those places where you can be uh, discouraged from asking questions and just have faith. You know, so it's like when you say, well, how come God this or how come God that or how come God allows this and how come God allows that? And you have these real legitimate kind of questions about there seems to be a disconnect between who you're saying God is versus what's happening in real life and I'm just trying to help I'm just trying to ask questions to help reconcile the difference and close the gap between who you're telling me God is versus what I see happening in real life and a lot of times when people ask those questions they would say oh you're just being influenced by the world or you know you just that's just the devil in you or that's that, that you just need to have more faith and you know that that's not the place for that, you know, because if you're asking questions then that means that you really don't believe God. In other words, shame on you for being a bad Christian. Shame on you for causing trouble and disruption and, and causing other people to doubt. You just need to have this blind, unwavering faith that is problematic on a number of levels. Number one, it makes you think that if you have questions, then you must not be. A good Christian or that God is looking at you sideways or that questions are wrong or what have you. And so when you see a disconnect between who you're being taught God is versus what you're seeing play out in real life, and you're just trying to find some peace in that gap of, of disconnect, then you are being berated for it. And what that does is teaches people not to Question or teaches people to just accept things that are amiss, things that are off, things that seem askew, things that might be just flat out wrong. And that type of tamping down of questions, and this happens in schools too. So sometimes there are students who are raising their hands, well, how come this and how come that? And it's amazing how curious children are at young ages, because I've raised a child, In those ages, that two, three, four, five, six, and seven, children have so many questions and they have so much natural curiosity. But notice what happens after like third grade. A lot of that gets stamped out of them. A lot of that is you're being disruptive. You're talking excessively. I'm sending a note home to your mom. I'm emailing your parents. Like in other words, sit down, shut up, Accept what is being taught by the authority that is in front of you and go on about your merry way. Do not make waves. Do not make it harder for the other students in the classroom. In other words, you as a child, your place, quote unquote, a child's place is to be seen and not heard, to accept and not question. And that type of conditioning sets people up in later years for all kinds of. abuses (laughs) in in adulthood some of you may be familiar with the term grooming and Grooming is basically when you're trying to prepare or train somebody for a particular purpose or activity. So sometimes this is used in a really positive context like, oh, he's grooming his son to take over the company or he's being groomed to go into the workforce or she's being groomed to accept this new role in her career or what have you. In other words, this person is being prepared and conditioned and and molded and shaped to accept a new role. But what that can also mean in a negative context is you can groom people. OK, and so sometimes this is used in, in criminal justice. They talk about child abuses and sexual abuses that a lot of times when you are tamping down questions, when you are telling people that they are bad students or that they're bad Christians because they have questions and and are naturally curious, then what you are essentially saying is sit down, shut up, take it, deal with it. And this is why a lot of times when people are abused, they don't speak up because they've had experiences where when they did speak up, they were told to sit down, told to shut up. They were disbelieved and they just didn't think that they were going to be supported. And so when we are talking about disrupting dysfunction in our conscience, okay, in our ability to follow our intuition and discern what is a good path and what is a a, a, path that is is not going to be beneficial to us something that you have to look specifically at is what among my beliefs are rooted in fear or shame so fear that i wasn't going to be accepted fear that i wasn't going to be embraced fear that god wasn't going to love me fear that i was a bad christian fear that i was a bad student fear that i was too weird that i was too quirky that i was going to be a social outcast how much of that is is rooted in those types of of beliefs or those types of fears and if you do have a belief system that is rooted in fear or shame i'm telling you right now you need to question it you need to interrogate it you need to pull it apart you need to say who did this really serve who did this really serve? Did this really serve the interest of the Sunday school teacher who didn't have the answers and just thought it was easier to shut me up <laughs> than it was to really apply some critical thought and thoughtful, meaningful consideration of my question? Did this really serve the institution of education, which in American schools, the purpose of education in a lot of ways is to churn the economic engine. It is to train Uh, Young minds for the idea that they have to go to work (laughs) and contribute to the American economy at some point. And so go back and look at those belief systems and see what the roots of them are. And ask yourself, have I been groomed? Have I been conditioned? Have I been led to believe that my natural questions, that my natural curiosities, that the things that occurred to me and my intuition were bad or wrong or shameful or going to uh, create some sort of tension between me and my community? And if that is the case, then I'm going to encourage you to interrogate those things, disrupt those things, and break away from that. And as I mentioned in the last podcast episode, that does come with some cost, okay? Because usually when you are being conditioned a certain way and you're being brought up a certain way, you're not the only one. So when this happens in classrooms or this happens in institutions like churches, there's a collective buy-in of these belief systems. And so when you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a pass on that. You know, so for example, uh, people being pressured into marriage, like, oh, you're going to be alone and no one's gonna be there to take care of you when you get old and sick again fear shame like you are going to be an outcast you are going to be less than you are going against the grain if you do not have your life set on a certain quote unquote traditional accepted path. So all of those belief systems, think about the path that your life is on right now and ask yourself, how many of those choices that you are making right now in your life are choices of your own desire, of your own intuition, of your own gifting? And how many of them are choices of conditioning and beliefs that are rooted in fear or shame that you are going to be lacking or less or somehow diminished if you do not meet the expectations of family, of culture, of what have you. So these are just some ways to disrupt. One of the the most effective ways to disrupt dysfunction is to question, question, question. So bring back that natural curiosity that you had as a child that got stomped out (laughs) throughout middle school and, and secondary school and university. Bring that back. okay? bring back that critical questioning and awareness and be okay with people who are not there yet. Be okay with people who are not there yet because just because people have drank the Kool-Aid doesn't mean that they're happy. It just means that they've drank the Kool-Aid and a lot of them who have drank the Kool-Aid have grown up and realized, Ooh, I was led to believe this and now my life is miserable or now my life is unhappy or now my life is unfulfilled. And maybe if I had been led by my own conscience by my own consciousness by my own desires my life would have turned out much differently but because i drank the kool-aid but because i was afraid of being outcast in society now i feel stuck and i feel trapped and i feel like i don't have as many options as i would have had had i followed my gut or had i followed my desires had i followed my passions so keep that in mind so another way to uh disrupt dysfunction or another area to look at is culture and there are so many culture wars happening in the united states right now and a lot of that is rooted in some just decades old supremacist ideologies about who america really belongs to (laughs) okay i'll just i'll say that about who america really belongs to who belongs in this country and there are these fights okay like so these culture wars these fist fights about who belongs and what is acceptable in and out of society. But I want to look specifically back at our scripture reference out of numbers. And so the daughters of Zelophehad, the way that wealth was passed down from generation to generation was through land and properties. And that typically was passed down from father to son. Well, Zelophehad did not have any sons. He had four daughters. And so the daughters made a petition to Moses and said, look, just because my son, I mean, my father did not have sons does not mean that his name should disappear from <laughs> from the docket. Okay, like we are perfectly capable and able to manage the land and carry forth in his name. And that was unprecedented. So Moses took that to the Lord and the Lord said, they right. <laughs> and so they subsequently got the land. And this is really important because... In our, in many aspects of our culture today, if you are, I think that these culture wars, these for or against this yes or no, this kind of black and white, don't get me wrong. There are some things that are just moral absolutes. There are just some things that are just flat out wrong. And what things are wrong, where I land on that. So like, who's to determine what's right and what's wrong. I tend, I am guided by the scripture that says, Love God with all your heart, your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that is where I tend to hang my hat. That tends to be the guiding compass. And so whenever I see these fistfights, these ideological fistfights, these ideological food fights that are happening all over social media and in the news and what have you. I always come back to, is this the most loving approach to this situation? Is this an approach that is rooted in love for God or love for one another? And if it's not, I can't subscribe to it. I'm like, this is just, this is just not that. And then when you go back and read scripture and you just look at how Jesus approached even people who were caught in things like adultery or what have you, Jesus' approach was very gentle. Even the man that was full of demons, okay? His name was Legion, and he was just full of demons. Jesus did not come on the scene, you know, waving a a staff and, like, beating him upside the head, like, get out, demons. Like, when he rolled up on that man, he said, what's your name? (laughs) That's how we know what it is, is because Jesus asked him, what is your name? He tried to make some sort of personal connection with him. In other words, he did the loving thing. And so when you find yourself getting all fired up and triggered and men ought to be this and women ought to be that and women today this and and men today that, you know, like, so when you start getting into all of that jazz and the people that you are listening to, you need to be asking yourself, is this a loving approach to this conversation? Is this a compassionate approach to this conversation or is it just entertaining? Is it just, So there are people in this world, there are people in this country for sure in politics and in media that intentionally stoke and poke the fears and insecurities of individuals. And so a lot of what is driving the racist ideology in American culture In terms of uh, this white nationalist movement that's happening is you see how they are taking this country away from you. You see how they are going to rob your children of their rightful legacy to to rule. You see how they it's this setting up this us and they like you see what's going to happen if you don't stand your ground. You see what's going to happen if you don't take up arms and and fight for your, you, you know, your country like it's it's this fear stoking it's this fear poking and then there are the podcasters and and people with with platforms that are like you know if you were a real man you would be doing this or or you you're gonna let a woman talk to you like that or you know what's wrong with these women today is and and if you don't do this as a man then you're gonna lose your standing it's this it's this fear poking it's this it's this going to the least common denominator and manipulating and stoking your worst fears, your worst insecurities, the <laughs> your your shadow side as it were and bringing those things to the forefront, giving them voice, giving them fuel and giving them momentum to say, "Yeah, you ought to change your behavior because otherwise if you don't, you are going to be less of a woman, less of a man, less of a person, you're going to have less of a country." And all of that rhetoric because that is what it is rhetoric is oh let me put on my english teacher hat for a minute so rhetorical devices um these were brought into mainstream by aristotle and these rhetorical devices there are three ethos logos and pathos ethos to establish credibility logos uh to establish logic and reason and argument and then pathos which is an appeal to emotion And a lot of these arguments, these things that are happening in the mainstream are pathos. They are pathological, incendiary arguments to stoke the worst of your emotions. And so there are so many people in culture right now that are just consistently angry, just always mad. And every time. They open their phones because the algorithm feeds you what you like to eat. And so the way that the algorithms are set up is that if you click on one thing, it's going to show you more of that thing and continue to show you more of that thing. And so there's no balance in terms of of what you're consuming. And then if your, your TV is always on a certain news channel, then, you know, and you're not having balance and listening to other voices, then it is creating this wellspring and this groundswell of just anger and dissension and i'm going to caution all of you listening to be mindful of that what are you eating what are you consuming this is dis. this is dysfunctional that is dysfunctional anything that creates that kind of discord and disharmony and makes you run to the comments to throw in your two cents and all of that ask yourself is this (laughs) how I want to spend my life. Is this where I want to plant my flag? Is this the best investment of my time, of my energy, of my gifts, of my passions? And so it, it's 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 about disrupting. And then in terms of of these uh, continual erosion of rights, so I, I can't tell you what's happening in the rest of the world, but in the United States, there's like this continual erosion of rights, right? So there are are laws that have been enacted since the uh, last presidential election to erode voting rights. And then there are laws that are now in place to take away women's rights. And now there are laws in place to take away uh, a right to just even identify as, as how you identify. And that type of social control and manipulation, I have to give it to the daughters of Zulofahad because they were like, look, <laughs> this is not this is not fair this is not equitable this is not just and so they made an appeal to Moses and Moses relented and i don't think that it is for everybody to hop on the front lines to pick up a, a sign and and hit the picket lines and march and what have you but i do think what this gives you an opportunity to do is to be very intentional about how you participate in culture and say, who am I aligning myself with? Am I aligning myself with people who are loving God, loving people as they love themselves? Or am I aligning myself with people who are hateful and hate-filled? And I remember when I was in grad school, we used to read the work of Beverly Daniel Tatum, who is an anti racist educator. And she said that being anti racist was like being in an airport and being on the conveyor belt. So let's say you are in the airport and you know that conveyor belt where you can uh, just kind of ride it till you get to the other end. She says on one end of the conveyor belt are like the racist, the classist, the, the people who are stoking like anger and, and supremacy and all of that. And so they're down on one end. OK, and on the other end, you know, where you first get on, that is like the complete opposite opposite of that, where people are talking about equality and justice and social equity and all of that and she says that if you are on the conveyor belt in the in the airport and you are just standing there moving towards the racist and all of that she says even though you're not doing anything okay it's not like you're down there with them causing trouble but because you are standing on that conveyor belt you are moving in that direction so sometimes we think that just because we're not saying anything or because we're not doing anything it's like well that's not really me, even though like I see that I'm going in that direction. I may not be as vocal as they are, but, you know, you're still heading that way. And in some ways, aligning yourself with those things that was kind of like, well, we have a, a common, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So it's like, even though we have different approaches to it um, and different reasons for it and ways of going about it. I'm still kind of aligning myself with them. And so Beverly Daniel Tatum says that in order for you to be anti-racist or anti-classist or anti-whatever, you actually have to do an about face. You have to do a 180 degree turn and you have to go against the tide. You have to walk the other the way uh, on the conveyor belt. So you have to go against the current. Otherwise, you will be carried down there with the people who have the, <laughs> the, the signs and the pitchforks and what have you. And so... Ask yourself, how are you positioning yourself in the culture with all of these things that are going on? Because a lot of people are being fueled by hate. And even though you might not be fueled by hate, you might be fueled by, well, this is what I was taught to believe. And this is what I believe is right and wrong. And this is, you know, the values that I subscribe to. Be mindful that you do not find yourself being inconspicuously kind of carried away down in the direction of the people that have (laughs) The pitchforks that are spewing hatred and things like that, because even though that may not be where you stand, you may end up down there with them because you are not actively going in another direction. And to be fair, I will say that that does set up a little bit of a binary. So it's like either what I'm super liberal and everything goes or I'm super hateful and nothing goes. No, I do believe that there is room for moderation and balance, you know, like you can get off the conveyor belt <laughs> and 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 forge your own path, but I'm saying that it is worth thinking about making sure that you are not aligning yourself culturally with individuals whose motivations and whose hearts are misaligned with where your heart is and where your motivations are. And as I said, for me, regardless of how I was raised, I'm like, I'm not going to choose hate. You know, I hate to sound all Martin Luther King Jr. ish, but yeah, hate cannot drive out darkness. Like I choose to be light. I choose to be love. I choose to show compassion. And it doesn't mean that I have to agree with everything that's being said and everything that's being done. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to join the rallying cry that wants to commit violence and destruction and mayhem and make you feel like you are less than and drive up anxiety levels and levels of depression and suicide. Like, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm just not going to do it. And if you're like, well, that, that means you are, um, what do they call it? Switzerland, you know, and you're not really taking a stand. I'm like, Oh, I actually am. I am standing on the side of love, love God and love people, period. Hard stop. Like that is where I have landed with all of the dysfunction that is in the culture. And my charge to you is to be mindful as to where you are standing with regard to all of the dysfunction in the culture and that the more, constructive path, I believe, is one that is rooted in love rather than one that is rooted in hatred and beliefs that were designed to facilitate certain hierarchical belief systems. And the last thing that I will share with regard to disrupting dysfunction is with regard to communication. And so in the last episode, I said that dysfunctional communication occurs when there is a breakdown in the way that information is shared, received, and understood between people. It also occurs when uh, words are weaponized to in forms of microaggressions and, and shame and what have you. I would probably say So here's what I will say about disrupting dysfunctional communication. Whenever I have been in the workplace and somebody says something that is out of pocket and in the workplace, you have to be very strategic about how you approach uh, microaggressions, things that are racist or inappropriate or what have you. And the best way is to go back to what I said earlier. It is through questioning. And so when you hear somebody say something or make some sort of tongue in cheek joke, something that I always use is, I'm sorry, what did you mean by that? And they're like, what? I'm like, you said A, B, and C. I'm not quite sure I understood what you meant by that. And just by raising it, by saying, (laughs) you know, what did you mean by that? Or can you clarify that? It immediately puts people on the, oh snap, I probably said something that I should not have said and it was not taken in light. And sometimes people blow it off like, oh, you know, I was just blowing smoke or I was just being joked. I'm like, I said, oh, I get that. But I just wanted to make sure I understood what you meant and a lot of times they will back down they will shrink away or whatever but and it doesn't mean let me just be clear when you are disrupting dysfunction you're not trying to change people that's god's work okay that is truly the lord's work but what you are doing is you are saying that this system of thinking this pattern of of being this toxic situation this inequitable set of circumstances is not okay and it's not going to happen on my watch now it might happen two doors down in sally's office it might happen after work when you guys are having drinks at the local watering hole but what it's not going to do is be okay in my presence i'm going to disrupt it and eventually you know that that does can can create some ostracism like oh we can't talk to her or you know here comes the police here comes the the word police or whatever and people are immature and let them be immature but when you are being disruptive please know that there is some risk involved you know jesus was a disruptor if you read the new testament how did he end up on that cross disruption (laughs) okay disrupting dysfunction disrupting inequity disrupting religious abusive he was very disruptive and he said this is not gonna happen on my watch and in him being disruptive yes it came at a cost but he also liberated a lot of people from oppressive and abusive ways of being In themselves and in the culture and in communication. So to take a trope from the 90s, what would Jesus do? Jesus would be disruptive is what he would be. (laughs) He would not be going along with a lot of the things that are quote unquote happening in his name today. So I will leave that there. So we are winding up uh, season four. We have two episodes left to go in this season before we take a hiatus and come back with season five where i will be much better prepared (laughs) than i have been in season four season four just kind of took on a life of its own because of some things that happened in my personal life um and i had longer gaps in between episodes than i would have liked but we are going to wrap up this season um in short order with two more episodes with our final series and if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says on Instagram, on threads for however long that lasts. <laughs> it's like everything that has come to like take Twitter down. It's like a slow death. So we'll see what happens with that. But I will see you guys on the next episode.